Welcome back to the Training Model Podcast. This is episode number eight. Again, thank you very much for checking this out. If you're new here, I'd recommend going back to the start, but uh, otherwise, uh, keen for you to listen in on today's episode. We've got a couple of topics today. We've got one question that came through from Matt. Um discussing sort of like the generalist versus specialist approach to coaching. Um, and I definitely have some ideas around those sort of topics. So that will be coming up uh, at, the, at the later half of today's episode. But to start with, I wanted to continue this conversation around the center of mass uh, sort of topics that we've been talking about because obviously we had the webinar last week and I've had a bunch of people that went back through the recording and have sent some additional questions and sort of application of some of the topics. So I thought no better place than the podcast to, to talk about uh, the application of some of that center of mass stuff. So uh, Jason actually, uh, who, who's a, an old client of the gym, uh, he now works in the rehab space and uh, he came to the webinar. He wanted to unpack a couple of things just for himself uh, to get a better understanding and a better grasp of some of these ideas. And for Jason, a lot of it was centered around sort of like pelvic position and pelvic control and trying to get that to be applied into the deadlifts because he was feeling, unlo- uh, like many people, feeling a lot of back tension and his back was kind of being, that, that tension and that feeling was kind of being the limiting factor for him to confidently push his deadlifts along um, uh, or or push them forward. So Jason came down for a one-on-one and I would recommend this for pretty much anybody that's looking to better understand these applications. Book yourself in for a one-on-one or or a pack of one-on-ones and we can unpack these things because going through firsthand is definitely going to be the best place for you to pick up uh, these concepts and these feelings and awareness that you can then begin to apply for yourself within your own training, but also your clients. So Jason came down and we just began the session with uh, some low level drills, these low threshold drills. And again, I call them the, I call these drills low threshold because the threshold for you to actually build awareness, build confidence and get the right feelings within these drills uh, is quite low. And the reason is, is because they're down on the ground, center of, center, of gra- uh, center of mass is managed quite easily. They're unloaded. They're generally isometric. Um, we're, we're really just focusing on building awareness in these kind of drills. It's very easy to then take that application and take that context and move it up the chain into higher threshold drills like loaded positions and uh, closer proximity to failures, larger ranges of motion, more coordinated uh, compound movements and all of that sort of stuff. So we actually just started with pelvic rolls and the pelvic rolling of just like on your back Back, feet flat on the ground and just rolling into like an excessive anterior tilt, excessive amounts of extension, driving the mass forward. Um, and then also then shifting back to the other end of that spectrum, which is really just rolling the pelvis back into as far of, of a posterior pelvic tilt as you can. Uh, and we're just exploring those two sort of positions, moving the pelvis forward and then rolling it back. And in those two positions, we're already beginning to build awareness around what is actually Uh, contributing to those two movements. And again, in a standing posture, it's not exactly the same as lying down. And the reason is because standing, generally gravity is pulling us forward and down, and that's what's actually extending the system. Uh, That's what's changing the skeletal position. 
And then we just use abs and hamstrings to shift back against that. And it's more of an active force. On the ground, though, we're actually using a lot of lower back and hip flexor to actually drive into that anterior pelvic tilt. Um, and then when we roll back on the ground, we're actually picking up a lot more abs and hamstrings to control that movement. And uh, that's where we literally just started the session, just exploring those feelings and, and seeing what was being felt at different positions. We then move forward into both the 90-90 hip lift and plank, one of my favorite progressions for picking up this awareness um, but the 90-90 hip lift uh, I don't think it's necessary for everybody to do but in Jason's situation when we're trying to learn and build awareness around what is actually controlling the pelvis I think it was really important so within the 90-90 hip lift uh, we were literally just looking for hamstrings to control that pelvic position and getting that pelvic tuck under a little bit of load from just gravity and body weight and un this is actually quite common for people that have never explored these positions, but Jason actually already began to feel a pretty decent amount of hamstring tension and even just a little bit of fatigue in that position whilst holding it isometrically and asking for big, deep inhales and exhales to try to bring along the abs as we compress the front side of the, the trunk. Um, and it's not uncommon. You'll probably find some people that... Uh, I've, I've had people cramp in the hamstrings doing that um, and also just sort of like a lot of awareness around the hamstrings and that hamstring position in a more of a shortened state as that pelvis starts to roll back into more of a posterior pelvic tilt. Uh, and that's what we actually picked up. And the goal for Jason with that was then to connect that with obliques. And, and one of the strategies that we used to build awareness around those obliques um, was a slight reach to the ceiling with his arms. Um, and, and if you're aware of that shifted center of mass back position, we know that the arm position can help sort of drive that top down. So from the upper body down through the trunk and into the lower body. So asking for a slight reach forward to the ceiling in that 90-90 hip lift actually allowed a better shifting back of the rib cage as well. Um, and that, that allowed us to then pick up some obliques because we're really looking for an entire ab wall contraction, especially on that exhale. And that exhale, when we're forcing that compression on the front side and driving the air out, we really want to pick up some of those, well, sorry, we really want to pick up the entire ab wall to, to help contract and, and push that air out. If we're only getting a rectus abdominis strategy, so on the front side, like think about your six pack abs, if we're really only feeling tension on the front side of the abs, I would hazard a guess to say that more than likely, we're not actually shifting the center of mass backwards. We're not actually pushing the skeleton back in space. We're likely just getting flexion of the trunk and almost doing like a crunch position. And you see this same thing present with a lot of like reaching drills um, and also poorly braced positions, especially under like squatting. And that is where like the lifter actually begins to lose height as they move into that position. And really, if we're losing height and crunching down, we're not actually shifting the skeleton back in space. If we're doing the shifting correctly, we shouldn't lose any height. It's just the skeletal position shifts backwards as opposed to being forward. And the opposite of that would be like the full crunching moment where we're literally just closing off the front side and dropping our whole height as we crunch down and flex over. That's not really what we're looking for. We're literally just looking for that shifting back. So uh, within that 90-90 hip lift, that were just some of the things that we were looking to apply. Getting that little bit of a reach with the upper body to help drive the ribs back in space, 
looking for full contraction of the entire ab wall. Obliques are really important. They're going to pull those sort of false ribs down in space and close off that area across the entire sort of circumference of the ab wall. And then looking for hamstrings to be also controlling that pelvic position. And we were just holding that, doing some breath work and feeling what he was feeling. Um, And we actually began to build a lot of awareness and tension around the hamstrings, which was really positive. We then progress that into just planking position. So in a 90-90 hip lift, gravity is pulling us down to the floor, which is helping us hold and manage that position. In a plank, we now have to actively push against the floor in order to drive the skeleton back in space. Um, so the, the plank is fighting gravity. It's a slight progression. It's a little bit more loaded. It's a little bit more challenging. And if anyone's ever done planks in the way that I cue and coach them with a little bit of a reach into the ground with your upper body, again, to open up the upper back and to to drive the skeleton back into that available space, you'll find that it is actually quite a difficult position to hold and manage whilst breathing. And that's what we're looking for. We're actually looking to progress up that threshold for learning and building awareness. And and for Jason, it was actually a little bit challenging. However, we were able to take those same feelings of hamstrings and abs and, and move it into the plank position. And the big goal there for Jason was not to use a glute strategy. I think part of his problem with feeling the lower back a lot was because he was kind of overemphasizing the glute position or the glute contraction to hold the pelvis in space. And I went through this on Instagram, but uh, actually I went through it last week um, on, on the chat. But yeah, if we if we use too many or too much glute contraction, it actually becomes counterproductive because again, the glutes actually just shift and push the center of mass forward. That's what they do. Yes, they can posteriorly tilt the pelvis and we can use a glute strategy to hold that posterior tilt. However, we probably want the glutes to be moving the femur. And if the glutes are holding the pelvis, they can't really move the femur. If we use too much glute strategy, we're just limiting our potential to actually load them throughout the movement where they're necessary to actually produce force and and not dump into an extension-based posture whilst lifting. Um, so yeah, a big thing for the plank there was really utilizing uh, the abs and the hamstrings to just progress from that that 90-90 hip lift. And, and we were able to do that um, quite confidently and quite well. Um, And from there, we then started to move into some actually loaded positions. And we started with just like a kickstand hinge. So like we call it a B-stance RDL here, just a one dumbbell loaded, really trying to shift onto that stance leg. So shift the pelvis around, um, around onto that stance leg, maybe like getting a little bit of trunk rotation to sort of drive that hip backwards in space. Um, and we were looking for like a, a good lengthened position of the glute there. And the big thing here, and I think a lot of people fuck this up with uh, like B-stance RDLs when we're really trying to get a good like glute uh, stretch in that bottom position uh, is really just how we're shifting and loading into that back hip. I picked this up from David Gray, and I think it's one of the best sort of ideas uh, around this shifted single leg RDL or single leg hinge position. And, and the way that I like to frame it is like, if you if you think about the back pocket of your pants or your jeans or whatever, what we're trying to do is stretch that area as much as possible. Um, and the only way in which we can do that is by learning to control the pelvis without the glute strategy. We actually need the glute to relax and lengthen in order for it to then contract and push forward in space. So we actually we're trying to minimize 
glute tension in that position. And and we're probably going to pick up some hamstrings. We're definitely going to pick up some abs as we're shifting back and loading onto that single leg stance. Um, a lot of the pressure in the foot is over the midfoot. We're nice and balanced. Uh, we've got the knee forward a little bit, allowing that hip to move backwards in space and to stretch that backside of the hip. And uh, one of the things that we found with Jason, because he is a little bit limited in internal rotation of the hip, is that he kind of felt that he wanted to shift onto the, the lateral side of his foot a little bit through that drill. And and, uh, and that is indicative of somebody that is limited in hip internal rotation. So as we're loading into that single leg hip position, we're actually looking to pick up a, a decent amount of hip internal, internal rotation. And if we don't have that hip internal rotation, the foot and the knee is probably going to start to externally rotate as we shift back. Pressure will shift probably towards the heel or the lateral side of the foot. Um, we may even start to see like an excessive trunk rotation over to that left side as we're trying to bias or sort of sort of skip the hip internal rotation. And we end up having these sort of like, I don't want to use the term, but they're sort of like compensation actions because we're limited in hip internal rotation. And that single leg RDL or the B stance RDL, or if you follow David Gray, how he does it and teaches it, that is probably going to be one of the best ways for you to load uh, a lower body lift uh, to improve hip internal rotation. Really try to access that range and load onto that front uh, that front foot. Keep, keep your weight over that mid stance. Keep the knee forward, loaded in that position and shifting the hip back in space is probably going to allow you to start to actively increase that hip internal rotation. So we managed to do a few set, a few sets there. Sorry, I've just had like a little bit of indigestion or something. Um, uh, we yeah we managed to do a couple of sets there and 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 begin to improve sort of the awareness. And he, he actually started to fatigue a little bit there, probably because we're starting to load some of those areas, the hamstring, uh, a little bit differently than some of the traditional training that he had been doing, um, which was good to see. And I actually, I kind of like that. It should be challenging. If we're loading those things correctly, uh, they can be quite difficult. You don't need a lot of load, especially if, you, if you're going with a slow tempo like we were there. Um, we then went to, so the, the yeah, the goal with that is to learn how to hinge and stretch a glute and, and load a glute in a lengthened position without overemphasizing pelvic control with the glute. We're trying to actually like relax the thing and and, and let let ourselves shift back in space um, with that drill. We then went into like goblet squats and started to pick up some abs and, and uh, that, that sort of plank feeling in the goblet squats. And then finally, we got into deadlifting and we managed to actually hit uh, a couple of confidence sets at 100 kilos uh, without feeling any of that lower back tension, which is really positive. Um, he was definitely feeling more abs. He said he was loading his hamstrings more than he had felt in the past. Um, and another cue that we were using there was uh, not overemphasizing that glute squeeze at the top. Like the glutes will just do the job. Muscle is dumb meat. If we get the bones in the right place and we execute the lift in the way that we're looking for, we know the glutes are actually going to be contributing to that lift. So um, throughout that Throughout that process, we weren't overemphasizing a glute squeeze at the top. We were literally just trying to get the setup correct, shift the center of mass back a little bit, find some abs and holding that position, holding that pelvis and pressing through the midfoot in order to execute the lift. Because it, I know that if we are in that good position, we've got a good brace strategy with the abs across the entire ab wall, we're over the midfoot. 
if the load's heavy enough and, and if we can push close enough to failure, uh, we're definitely going to be picking up a bunch of glute, a bunch of adductor, a bunch of hamstring, a bunch of quad uh, to actually execute that lift without overemphasizing the lower back. And that's exactly what we were able to do. So um, it was a really good session. He also then went and slammed a 10 kilo PR on his bench press because the gym that he was training at, apparently the benches suck and the wider bench press felt good for him. So so congratulations to Jason for uh, smacking out a new PR. But uh, yeah, it was a really good session. Um, I'm keen to see how he goes over the coming weeks with applying some of that stuff himself. And I just know that, and again, I want to just put this out there. If you're a young coach and you're listening to this and you're, you're keen on learning these sort of things and maybe you're a little bit confused about the positions or the awareness or what we're trying to pick up, I would recommend just booking in a one-on-one to shoot me a DM. Let's lock something in uh, because that firsthand experience is the best way to learn all of this sort of movement-based stuff and how we can load specific muscles, take tension towards or away from areas, how the skeletal position influences uh, sort of muscle activation and what's on and what's not on and and all of that sort of stuff. So uh, it was a really good session and I'm keen for more people to get involved. I've got another one booked in next week with Georgia who came to the Center of Mass webinar. But um, yeah, definitely keen to, to continue to uh, push my one-on-one technique sessions along, uh, along for the ride. So if you are keen, please reach out. Uh, I'd love to help and I know it will be best for your development because uh, I can speak for myself, like especially going through some of those PRI courses, like learning the content from like uh, online, like videos and, and sort of slides and images and graphs and all of that sort of stuff. Like it can get very like, yeah, but how does all this apply? Like, what are we actually doing in the gym? And um, it's very difficult to, to get that across. And that was one of the, the feelings that I had at the end of the, the Center of Mass webinar. And I spoke to a couple of the people that came uh, related to it, um, is that I, I do struggle to get uh, a feeling that it's landing when I go very, very movement-focused um, on webinars or, or my online mentorships and all of that sort of stuff because it's hard to get that feedback and it's hard to build that awareness. Like, yeah, I can try and cue and coach things online, but it, it's just not the same as in person. So if you are available, if you want to come down, I, I would recommend it because it's going to be so good uh, for your development and, and, and picking up and, and learning to apply these ideas uh, long-term. So I would recommend that. So I'm keen, I'm open, just reach out. I'll, I'll probably be taking a month off in Jan uh, when I become a dad, but up until the end of December, I'm I'm ready to roll and, and want to do one-on-ones. Um, you can also help me with some content ideas, which would be good too. And we film some stuff and make little reels and help educate the masses on shifting the center of mass forward and back and what it does to different muscles. So keen for that. The next question we had was from Matt. Matt Crush. Uh, what a name. But Matt uh, used the contribute to the podcast section on the website. Thank you very much for doing that, Matt. I'd recommend filling that out if you've got a topic or something that you want me to talk about on the podcast. But uh, it was actually in response. So Matt's question was in response to Pete Dupuy, who uh, is somebody that I would highly recommend following on Instagram. He is the co-owner of Cressy Sports Performance. He's sort of like the business side of Cressy Sports Performance with Eric Cressy, obviously being more of the training and the coaching side of things. Um, so it's his brain that built the coaching stuff, but it's Pete's brain that really built the business stuff on the back end. A fantastic follow, plenty of great little tips and, and thoughts about business and mindset around business and just strategy around business is awesome to follow. But Pete actually made this sort of like a, this anecdote, not an anecdote, it was kind of like a the word, the word evades me. Uh, it was kind of just like a, 
this idea about being like, there's two coaching strategies. You could be, I want to use this correct, you could be a travel agent, um, which is the way that Matt sort of described it, and I kind of agree, is more of like a generalist, uh, somebody that knows a lot about or a little about a lot of things and kind of mashes them all together in their approach um, compared to more of like a tour guide uh, where a tour guide would be a specialist. They're a tour guide of one particular thing and they do it incredibly well and you go to that person for the one particular thing and that would be more of the specialist sort of idea within the industry. So we have this sort of like conversation around being a generalist versus being a specialist and at different points in your career, you probably need to have different hats. Um, However, the long-term goal should become a specialist of something. I guess you could also put this from a business strategy with like niching down. Um, So like identifying one particular target market and really marketing and speaking towards those people and trying to develop your systems and your strategies around their particular pain points and problems and your coaching strategy sort of revolves around them uh, more specifically. Uh, So that would be like niching down more of like a business side of things. But I guess the, the training sort of fits within that as well. So what are my views on the generalist versus specialist conversation within uh, the coaching field? And I'm actually going to pull this all the way back. So now we're going back to like episode four or five. And and it's the, I think what underpins... When people say you shouldn't be a generalist, I think what underpins that is that you shouldn't have... Um, you shouldn't have sort of, actually, no, let, let me phrase this differently. I think when people say that they should be a specialist, so when 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 there's these mentors and these more developed coaches say that you should specialize and, and all of that sort of stuff. And I think the crux of that is they're trying to tell you that you should understand one thing really, really well. Whereas a generalist probably has general understandings across a wide field, a specialist would have one thing that they understand really, really well. The problem with this is that I actually think that a specialist skill set is underpinned by generalist principle-driven ideology. And, and coming back to a couple of episodes ago, if you haven't gone back, I would recommend starting from the start of this podcast and following along because it all is all contextual um, and these ideas are going to continue to pop up. But I think the problem in the industry for generalized coaches, and I don't even want to use that term because I would put us at strength culture as generalized coaches. Yes, we mainly talk around strength, performance, hybrid training, powerlifting, and all of that sort of stuff. But for the most part, our skill set is very generalized. And the reason it's quite generalized is because we are principle driven. We have core principles and core models that we that we use to frame information and ideas and conversations. And those principles actually help us to build strategies across a wide variety of application. And, and this is where this whole generalist versus specialist idea 
breaks down a lot is because if you don't have a principle-driven approach, if you have the opposite of that, which is a method-driven approach, maybe you've worked with a couple of uh, coaches and you've developed some of their methods and you've taken them on board and you're using methods to get outcomes, you're using programming structures to get outcomes, you're getting, you're using nutrition protocols to get outcomes, any of those sort of things. If we're using these methods, it's methods are very confined to very particular applications, whereas principles help dictate and direct our conversations and our, our strategies across, across a, a wider cohort of application. Um, and this is why principles are so important to understand as a coach and why I will almost always only educate around the principal ideas of programming, movement, uh, overall sort of like coaching strategy, overall models and, and, and model way of thinking and all of that sort of stuff because those principles actually dictate the direction that we move regardless of the goal, regardless of the person in front of us. The principles build the road for us. The variables and the methods are just the, the cart or the car that we select to move down the road. It's the principles that actually build the direction for us. And I think this is where the whole generalist versus specialist idea just falls apart because you could have a specialist and I'll, I'll tell you one in the industry right now, knees over toes guy. Knees over toes guy is a specialist. He's a specialist in knee pain and anterior knee pain and getting people back to jumping and performing and all of that sort of stuff. But his specialist ideas are built around methods. They are, you do this reverse sled drag, you do this fucking knee forward step down bullshit or whatever it might be. Um, and you fall, when you follow the specialist that has those ideas, you end up following just the bunch of his methods and his strategies and what he actually does. But you don't actually begin to think for yourself because you don't have the principles that underpin why he's doing those sort of things. As opposed to someone who might be a really good generalist, I would put someone in this category as a Mike Boyle, a fantastic generalist. Yes, some of his ideas probably need to be a little bit updated. However, I hold, I hold no grudges on that. Um, he's made a, an, an arguably the biggest impact in the private privatized world that we all work in for performance, strength and conditioning, whatever you want to do. I'd even go as far as to say powerlifting gyms and all of that sort of stuff. Mike Boyle is kind of like the godfather of the privatized performance world. So Mike Boyle, I would put as a generalist, he doesn't work. Yes, he, ha he works closely with like ice hockey and maybe a couple other sports, but for the most part, his strategies are very generalized. They're principle driven. They, they apply to the large cohort of athletes and people and everyday people that are just looking to build performance and strength and conditioning. They're very generalized principle strategies. And when you hear him talk and when you hear him communicate, he's very rarely going to speak around one particular method. He has his ideas around Olympic lifting and not doing it and not doing the catch and trap bars over straight bars and all of that sort of stuff, but it all falls back to a principle-driven sort of strategy. And that is where I would view the crux of the problem is not whether or not you're a generalist as a coach or a specialist as a coach. The crux of the problem is, do you have underpinning principles and models that help decision-making or the negative of that is 
Or are you just a coach that uses a bunch of methods and you've used the same protocols and the same strategies for every single person and it's always the same and everybody fits into your box because that is your method? That is where I think the generalist versus specialist sort of conversation needs to be around. So, um, and, and again, this is why I only ever educate or I do my best to only ever educate around the principles of movement and programming because the principles give you a frame to actually get people to progress regardless of what's presenting in front of you because you could have a whole bunch of different people but if you've got a good understanding of movement what we're looking for and what we're trying to feel and all of that sort of stuff you can do that via pretty much any drill at the start of this podcast i gave you a couple of strategies to reorient the center of mass they're the methods that i find helpful however if you listen to the webinar you would have heard that what we're actually looking for is we're just looking for this shifting back we can pick it up across a bunch of different upper body or lower body lifts we're looking for these sort of awarenesses and positions and sort of motor controls and you can really apply it across a wide variety of exercises and movements and all of that sort of stuff um because the principle is what matters. The methods are just how we apply the principle. So um, that's sort of where my understanding of the generalist versus specialist approach. Uh, you could find success being a generalist. You can find success being a specialist. Uh, but I think that the best coaches and the best people to view and observe observe from are principle driven. They have a, a core idea, a core thing that they're trying to build within the program, but the method itself can be applied across, or there could be multiple different methods and strategies that apply that principle in how we're trying to uh, approach it. Um, and I think this would be a good segue now to talk about the upcoming short course. Uh, I'm actually going to begin filming it next week, uh, ready to launch on December the 17th. Uh, that would be my training model short course. But my training model short course is all of the principles that I use for programming, client management, movement, uh, my models and all of the stuff that we've been discussing over the last probably month on the podcast. All of those sort of ideas are built into this short course. Um, if you want to jump on the early bird offer, you have to go through the email list um, on the website. You can save $100 by jumping on that email list every every week until the launch. I'm going to be sending out an email uh, that allows you to jump in that early bird offer. But um, that would be, I think, the best place to start to begin to understand our principles and my principles and, and how I've built uh, my coaching philosophy over the last sort of 12 years, um, being in the industry and being a coach across a wide variety of different applications. Because I fundamentally think that I am a generalist in how I understand uh, and apply my methods. They can really apply to anybody that's feeling these same consistent mobility and tension problems and uh, niggles and all of this sort of stuff, the consistent stuff that we constantly see, I really do think that my generalized approach is the best fit for those sort of things. Like I don't think that I'm a powerlifting coach or a SNC coach or anything like that. I am a generalist and I think being a generalist is a really good thing. It's just that those generalized ideas have to be underpinned by principles in the same way those specialist ideas have to be underpinned by principles. So that's sort of my view on it. Hopefully that was helpful for, for you listening along. Um, and yeah, that will be the end of today's episode. Again, if you want to contribute, shoot me a DM or you can uh, fill out the contribute to the podcast um, section on the website. 
And other than that, that will be it for this week. I will see you next week. If you want to book a one-on-one, please just shoot me a DM. I want to help people understand these sort of things. I know how beneficial it can be for your your coaching and and your results with your clients and also yourself. So uh, if you're keen to learn more, just shoot me a DM. Let's book in a one-on-one. Let's get things rolling. Um, Yeah, thank you for listening and we'll see you next week.